Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest podcast, this one being for September 2016. And it's wonderful to have you all along again. Um, I'm recording this at the end of August, right at the very end of August. And uh, my wife was just saying to me a few minutes ago, oh, dear, the summer's coming to an end. The nights will start to draw in soon. And she was moaning on about it because she absolutely loves the summer. And uh, she's a real outdoors person. She likes going to the beach and going for walks and cycle rides and and generally being active outside. And, of course, that's always easier to do, especially in this country, in, in the UK, in the summer. And I, I'm not really quite like that. Yes, I like going for walks and I, and I like having cycle rides, but I'm not a slave to the outdoors by any means. And I'm not particularly uh, affected by the weather. Uh, obviously, I would prefer it if it wasn't raining all the time and freezing cold. But whether it's blisteringly hot or whether it's just slightly overcast, and to me, it doesn't make a great deal of difference. I'm a bit of an indoors person, if the truth be told. But um, every year when we get to this time of the year, it always seems as if you suddenly go from being sunny days and being the summer and the summer holidays and suddenly you get into September. And although you, you may get a bit of sunshine and so on, and it's a bit of an Indian summer, if you like, as soon as the children go back to school in the first week of September, it always feels like the closing of one chapter of the year and the opening of another. And I think this is particularly true for magic. I've always felt that September is the start of a new magic season. Not all, but quite a lot of magic clubs don't have a meeting in August because they they figure, well, people are going to be away on holiday. There's not much point in putting something on because half the people won't be there. So they start up again in September. And I know quite a few clubs have their, their AGM, sort of June, July time, and then the new programme starts in September. So it always has this kind of fresh new feel to it and and personally because i'm not bothered about the weather i rather like september it's an exciting time it it leads up to plenty of of work certainly usually with shows summer is often quite a quiet time for inquiries even if you're doing quite a few weddings and things like that in terms of bookings but inquiries tends to go quite quiet and then as soon as the schools go back there's nearly always a noticeable uh, rise in the number of, of um, inquiries coming in through the internet and on the phone, which is great. I really like that. Uh, makes me feel busy and you start to plan ahead and through into Christmas and beyond. So uh, I like September. I feel like the focus for magicians and for magic generally returns. And uh, so rather than bemoaning the fact that the summer's gone, I look forward to the fact that the winter's on the way. Yeah, I know. I'm a bit weird, really, aren't I? You know, it seems to me that most magicians are loners. If you think about the way magic is, the, the, the fact that, unless you're a double act, perhaps, with an assistant, that mainly practice for magic is done on your own. It's a, a very lonely sort of activity, going through an act or practicing tricks and um, a lot of the time, I suppose, magicians tend to fall back on themselves for just about everything to do with magic. So if somebody wants to promote themselves, then rather than perhaps going to a professional web design company or a marketing agency, most magicians, I suspect, especially semi-pros, would say, well, I can do that. 
and they will try to get uh, some sort of off the peg type website and, and tinker around with that or try to work out how to publicize themselves using Facebook or other forms of social media without really knowing a lot of the time what they're doing. And I think this is probably true of most of us. I know I've certainly done that in the past um, where I've sort of felt, well, I can't afford to have somebody professional to do this. I'm going to have to try and work out how to do X, Y and Z myself. And whether it's writing copy for ads that you're placing in magazines or online or in directories or whether it's trying to design uh, headed paper, compliment slips, whatever it is, we as magicians tend to think that we can do it all. Truth, of course, is that most of the time we can't, or at least we can't do it very well. And it's very noticeable that the big, really successful acts, those people who have a lot of um, big bookings and who are very, very successful, very rarely do it on their own. I mean, you've only got to think about TV magicians, Darren Brown and Dynamo and people like this. They, they don't use, uh, rely on themselves to do everything. Of course they don't. They couldn't possibly do that. They rely on a team of experts, each of whom has a speciality within the sort of the team of helpers and assistants who will do all the things that they can't do, leaving them to do what they're good at, which is performing. And it's a bit of a change in mindset that's required if the rest of us, those of us who are not doing sort of mega big bucks type of bookings, it's sometimes quite difficult to get into our heads that getting professional help to do certain aspects of whether it be promotion or or just getting somebody to critique our act uh, in a in a professional way rather than just getting a friend to say, well, what do you think of this? I'm thinking of doing this. And your friend will go, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And, and it isn't, but he doesn't like to tell you that it wasn't very good. Or maybe he doesn't have the expertise to know that, in fact, it's not very good. So I've always thought that if magicians were to spend a little bit more money on getting the right type of professional help in certain aspects of their promotion and spent a little bit less of that, less money on the tricks as a result, that actually the results would be a lot better. Some pros, I reckon, will get more bookings. And uh, the fact that they had spent the money on their self-promotion as opposed to buying the latest amazing miracle that they've just seen a demo of online, then actually it would be much more beneficial to them in the long run. But it's not really going to happen, is it? Because the fact of the matter is, when we're spending money on magic, we want to get the exciting stuff. We want to order a trick and have it come, in, come through the post or download something exciting off the, off the web that we can try and incorporate in our act. And the thought of spending lots of money on on an ad agency, for instance, um, doesn't seem as as exciting, quite frankly. And yet it really is the thing that we should all be doing. Well, there's no doubt in my mind what the big shock news of the last two or three weeks has been. And that is the announcement by Stan Allen that Magic Magazine is to be no more. After 300 issues spanning 25 years, Stan has decided that enough is enough and it's time for him to move on, do different things and I would imagine have a bit of a rest. Now as an editor myself of a magic magazine that's been going for 12 or 13 years where we only publish magic scene every two months, I can only begin 
to hazard a guess as to the stress and strain of trying to produce a monthly magazine over a period unbroken period of 25 years i take my hat off to you stan it's a fantastic achievement and i know that he feels that um, everything has its day and that he would like to finish while he's ahead as it were but it's always very difficult winding up a magazine because he has absolutely no intention of selling it on in any form and so he wanted to sort of bring it to a, a final conclusion in a way that he felt was um, befitting of the magazine itself and so he's decided to um, create something called magic legacy this is a special limited edition set of 25 further issues of magic magazine which will only be sold as complete sets so in other words you won't be able to buy any of the legacy issues individually from your local dealer or anything like that and it will only be printed there will be no digital um, versions either now or in the future and the idea with legacy is that um, some of the content will be um, looking back at some of the things over the last 300 issues of magic magazine and updating and reminding um, readers of some of the great stuff that's been but as well as that there'll also be a lot of new content from uh, a stellar list of contributors and ideas people and as well as that um, there'll be various other perks and bonuses a special legacy deck of cards for instance um, which are being produced and which will all people who subscribe to this special set of 25 magazines will receive the 25 magazines will not be coming consistently every month um, they're going to be spread out over 22 months finishing in 2018 in the summer of 2018 and um, the schedule as, as Stan says will be um, a surprise so it'll suddenly you'll get a magazine arriving almost out of the blue you never quite know when it's going to come and, he, and Stan says just like it'll arrive just like magic and just like magic magazine should arrive unexpectedly you won't be able to um, you you can only buy it as a set so you can't buy as I said earlier individual issues and if you already have a subscription to magic magazine then you can offset the number of issues you have left on your current sub against your purchase of of the legacy set so in other words you can if you have say six issues left there is a, a rate a going rate depending on whether you're in the us or in the or overseas that you can offset against the price that you will then have to pay to get the legacy 25 magazines so it'll be fascinating to uh, to see how that goes um, it's it is a big step and i'm sure stan must have agonized long and hard about firstly should he do it secondly when was he going to do it uh, and 300 issues 25 years seems like a good nice neat round number um and also uh what how he was going to wind it down and draw a line under it all the the magic live conventions will still continue the next one will be in 2018 so those will still continue and i'm sure a lot of stan's um uh, energy will go into continuing to produce those but the magazine itself and, and let's face it in the 25 years that he's been publishing magic it the, the publishing business generally not just in magic but generally has changed enormously 
and so much of it is 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 digital and people are accessing things rather than the printed word they're going more and more for accessing information via particularly by their phones and tablets and so i think he he felt that now was a good moment to call it a day You'll still be able to get back issues, regular back issues of Magic Wild Stocks Last. And uh, and I suspect there may be quite a few people who will will take a view, well, I think I'm going to get some of these because they are now a finite set. The the original 300 volumes of, or issues, I should say, of, of, of Magic magazine will become collectible. As undoubtedly, um, when something is still ongoing, it has a slight disposable feel to it, except to collectors themselves. But for most of us, you have a magazine in a month, you quickly read through it, and probably you either shove it on a shelf and forget you've got it, or you put it in the recycling bin if if it's really not something that you feel you want to keep. So um, now these are going to have an intrinsic value because it's all finishing. The full cover price cost of Legacy will be $250 if you're based in the US. and uh, But there are some um, early bird discounts as long as you get your subscription in um, before the end of September or October. So go to magicmagazine.com, have a look at all the details. And um, Stan, quite funnily, uh, said to me, because um, it's it's quite a complex little thing he's trying to do here in a way, and trying to put across the benefits and exactly what his people will get has not been easy, I think. And so you do need to go and read about it and, and understand exactly what it is that you're getting. But I'm sure that Stan will be delighted to take your subscription, and the first uh, 10,000 subscribers will also get a special free edition of um, a book that they originally released when Magic first started back in the 1990s. And uh, you'll get an updated version of that too if you're one of the first subscribers. They are then Magic Legacy is Born as Magic Dies. One of the real frustrations of show inquiries is that no matter how good your publicity is and no matter how many inquiries you get, the conversion into bookings is often disappointingly low. And there can be all manner of different reasons why this might be. But one of the things that uh, I think we as magicians don't often think about enough is what is our USP, our unique selling proposition or point? What is it that we are offering that is going to make us as a performer different from another performer who lives down the road? Now, it could be that you you decide that your USP is going to be all based around what you charge. And this might not be that you're going to be the cheapest. It could be that you're going to be the most expensive and become known for being the top of the range. Or it could be that you are a, have a particular style or a particular character, for instance, that you use when you perform and that that will be your USP. So there are things that you can do within your act itself. And when you promote it, you would promote these aspects of your performance, which makes you different from other people. But the other thing that, and and this is where I think, even if you don't have that particular niche that you in your act itself, the other thing that I think is really important is how you respond to the inquiries when they come in. Most inquiries these days tend to come in, of course, via email in some way or certainly through the internet in some way, whether it's an online booking form or whether it's just a straight email from potential bookers. And 
how you actually respond both in terms of speed what you say and how you do it may uh, have a very strong impact on how many you convert into shows I, I really think it's not so much what you say or the price you charge although obviously these things are going to have some bearing it's actually more about what is going to make you stand out from all the other people that are also putting in quotes to this but to the same people because you see when you think about it in the old days when people went through yellow pages picking out telephone numbers and they rang performers just because that was the way you did it having a, a 10 or 15 minute perhaps conversation with a performer uh, on the telephone and getting all the information writing it all down the number of times you're probably going to do that is going to be limited you're not going to get on the phone for 10 or 15 minutes with 20 or 30 different people you're very unlikely to unless you're particularly uh, determined to get the best value or whatever it is you're looking for but with email it's much easier just to grab email addresses from various websites to do one email and just copy it to everybody and just bang it off to 20 or 30 people it can be done relatively easily and it's very impersonal and what that means is that when we receive an inquiry it's probably a lot of the time not that much of a considered inquiry it could be that we are just one of a list of magicians that they that the potential booker has just blanket emailed and as a result of that what we have and what we offer may actually be nothing to do with what they really want it's, they just didn't read carefully what we were offering but assuming that uh, there is some sort of relevance to what we can offer for the booker then how you respond and you express what you can do the way you make yourself stand out could be key because they will get back let's say they email four magicians assuming that all four magicians send back quotes unless the only thing that they're looking for is well who's the cheapest i'll book them then it's going to be other smaller factors which could decide whether you get the booking or whether Joe Bloggs, magician down the road, gets it. Now, for, for years, uh, I've been uh, responding to my inquiries for bookings in, in a, a very unusual way. And it's been extremely successful. It's, it's something that has enabled me to, to hit a one in three conversion rate. So for every three inquiries, I'm getting a booking. And it's nothing to do with price or anything like that. It's just the way that I respond to the particular inquiry. In fact, um, I describe it in full in, the, um, in the, my um, show conversion module, which is part of the, uh, the Magic Marketing uh, masterclass resource pack that I sell but the the point is about this is that I've I've looked at the process of replying and tried to think outside the box and try to think what would make me stand out what's going to make me look different to most of the other people who are also responding and I and I know from the feedback that I get from the people um, who I who I deal with that they are surprised and very pleased with the way that I respond and as a result of that I get this one in three conversion rate so I think 
it would pay everybody to have a little think about what you can do, what you can say and how you can say it if you want to up the number of conversions. Because no matter how good your publicity is, if you're not converting enough of them, quite frankly, your publicity is a waste of money. Because if you're getting 50 inquiries and converting one, that's a very expensive conversion rate. And uh, you really need to stop piling money into the publicity and th- and have more thinking time um, put over to how you're responding to the inquiries that do come in. Food for thought, I think. When uh, Dynamo announced that he was going to have a rest from TV magic and was going to go out and do these huge arena shows, like a lot of people, I was a bit surprised, to be honest. I wondered how he was going to manage to translate his very quiet, self-deprecating, small presentation style to a massive arena stage. And um, it, it was something that I thought, well, he's, he's clearly got his team around him who, who have worked out ways to do this. Uh, but it's going to be fascinating to see how, he, how it all turns out. Now, unfortunately, I haven't been able to get to the live show itself, but I, I was able to watch the recording of one of the O2 performances. And I thought he came across really well. It's slightly difficult to judge what it would have been like to be sitting in the in the auditorium because, of course, being that it's television, you get a lot of close-ups uh, and so you, it feels more immediate than it would have done if you were sitting in row 428 towards the back. But nevertheless, the use of the big screens and the nature of the magic, which was a lot of it was 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 small, but very interactive a lot of the time with the audience, getting people up to help uh, and having a lot of fun in his own way with the audience. And he he's not a natural uh, comedian. He doesn't come on, over as being somebody who has witty repartees. It's just not him. And he tried one or two little jokes which I thought fell a little bit flat, to be honest, because he didn't seem to have the conviction to put them across. But his personality, such as it is, I thought came over really nicely. And uh, he's done ever so well to to be able to pack out these places. And from what I've heard from the lay people who I know, friends of ours who went to the live show, they were very, very impressed. And they liked the fact that some of the magic that he did... Um, reflected some of the magic that he'd done in the TV shows. I mean, the obvious example, one of the most um, remembered of, uh, items of his that he performs on the TV shows was the the borrowed mobile phone in the bottle. And he does that in the show. And I think that's really good because I think there needs to be a link between the, the TV performances and the live show. Uh, it, it's It's that that gives it some context. But at the same time, there are other things that he that he obviously can't do on the stage, but other things that he can and which are better and more effective on the stage than they would be if you did them on television. So anyway, I understand he, he's, he's off to Australia now, I believe it is, to, to do more of these big arena shows. And uh, he's working really hard and no doubt making himself very rich in the process. But uh, he deserves a lot of credit 
for the the amount of drive that that he's showing in getting these shows out there and the confidence for somebody who is not a big showman i wonder actually whether he took a little bit of persuading initially that he could do this well he certainly can do it and it's i think it's been a big success for the lay people it's probably true to say that we all like a good story. I mean, right from when we're children, of course, bedtime stories are an important part of our, our ritual for most people. And, uh, and even as adults, we all like a good yarn, especially when the subject matter of the yarn is when somebody else is having a problem or difficulty with something. We kind of glory to a certain extent in other people's misfortune. And one of the most popular sections on my monthly e-video newsletter is a section called It Could Only Happen Live. And each month I tell a tale, a story about something that has happened to me during the last 35 years of working as a full-time magic pro. And these stories, some of them are horrific, some of them are funny, some of them are just downright quirky, really. Things that have happened, things that you couldn't believe the situation would ever occur and yet it does when you when you're working live and i thought that just for fun you might like to hear one of the stories that comes from the it could only happen live file and so that is why what you're going to hear next for the next three or four minutes is a little tale about a very persistent spectator last year i was booked to do a close-up show for a lady's 60th birthday party and it was actually in Exeter. We've made a pleasant change because so often I seem to need to drive to the far ends of the earth to do shows. This is in my own city. And um, what she'd done, she'd hired um, a function room in um, a local pub. And she'd invited 40 friends and family to come along and split them up onto four tables of 10. And my brief was to do an hour of close-up magic going around the tables. So that was fine. So I turn up and uh, they were just finishing their meal so it was time for me to start on with straight away and uh, so i went to the first table and i thought well with four tables and obviously an hour to fill 10 or 15 minutes at each table we'll, we'll do it so i started to perform and just as i'm starting the first show the the lady who booked me who wasn't actually sitting on that table she was sitting on a on a table to one uh, sort of just over to one side she got up and she came over and she actually stood right next to me and watched my entire show so that was, you know, a bit of a surprise, but I thought, okay, fair enough, she's paying the money. So I did the show, and then I said to her at the end of that show, I said, oh, I'm coming to your table now. She said, oh, good, she said. So she went back over and sat down in her vacated chair, and I realised that now, of course, I'm going to have to do a completely different show, because she's seen the first show, and I didn't think it was right that I should repeat any of the tricks. Apart from anything else, she'd know what was, what was coming next, and that would spoil it for her. So I sort of made up an impromptu sort of new show, if you like, using items that I had with me, and, and I did that for her table. So I get to the end of that, and I said to her, well, there you go. I said, I'm just going to go off and uh, do another one on a table of your guests now. She said, oh, OK, that's fine. So I went over to the third table, and she followed me. She walked right up. There was a, a, a vacant chair at that table, and she sat down. I thought, oh, no, she's going to watch this show as well. Now, obviously, um, again, I didn't want to repeat any tricks, so I realised that uh, I was going to be a bit stuck here because, I mean, there's only so many tricks you can carry in your jacket. Now, fortunately, I do bring with me, I have a little bag, which I always take with me, and, and inside there are my spare tricks. Um, 
To be honest with you, nine times out of ten, I don't use the material in the bag, but I usually take it into the venue with me just in case I need, you know, some extra tricks or maybe there's a particular trick in the bag that I think will be, you know, especially appropriate for a particular group I happen to be with. So I thought, right, I'm going to have to start using the stuff in the bag. So I'd had it, I placed it over on a ledge on one side of the room, so I went and got the bag and I started to, to put together another show, which I did for 15 minutes at this third table. So that was fine, it went, went well. And, uh, and I'm sure you're, you're getting the hang of this now, what's going to happen next, because as I went to the last table to do the fourth one, yep, she followed me, and she stood at the table, and it's funny, she said to everybody, she said, oh, she said, I've been watching this, it's great, she said, you're going to enjoy this, so she gave me all the big build-up, and I'm thinking, while she's doing that, I'm thinking, right, I've got to do yet more tricks. Well, I must have done every single trick that I had on me. But the strange thing was about it that despite the fact that I, I hadn't anticipated or I hadn't known in advance that I was going to have to do four entirely different shows, I mean, I, you always assume, don't you, you're going to be able to repeat some of the magic at some stage. Um, nevertheless, it, each of the four shows were actually quite balanced. You know, I, I didn't get to the last table, I think, well, I'll run out of everything else, it'll have to be all card tricks. Just by luck of the way it had worked, I had quite a balanced show at each of the four tables. Anyway, so I got through it okay and uh, got to the end of my hour and I was just leaving and I said to her, saying goodbye to her and she said, oh, she said, thanks ever so much. She said, I really enjoyed that. She said, I got my money's worth, didn't I? And I'm thinking, yes, you did. You followed me from every table to every table. She said, do you know what was the most amazing thing about all of that? I said, no, what's that then? She said, you didn't repeat a single trick at any of the tables. That's marvellous. Never expected that. I thought, yeah, you think it's marvellous, I think it's marvellous. Honestly, it could only happen live. Right, well, there's just uh, time, a little bit of time left to tell you that uh, this month, September, I've brought out another six audio file downloads covering a whole range of topics that I spoke about in my Mark's monthly message thing that eClub Pro members get. And these are now available at £4 each. And the subjects are approaching a table, using patter lines sensitively, expecting the unexpected, working close up outside, getting great table reactions, and deciding how long to perform for. If you go and have a look on my website, you'll see um, exactly what the, uh, the gist of all of those are. And they're very interesting and full of, I think, relevant and useful information. And that's it. Thank you so much for joining me for this particular edition of the podcast. See you next time.